Imagine what you could do if you had hundreds of years of influencer wisdom at your fingertips. So head over to theinfluencervault.com today and sign up to grab your free copy of our brand new top 10 influencer insights guide. You won't regret it. So again, that's at theinfluencervault.com. Go there today to grab the brand new top 10 influencer insights guide. I hope you enjoy it and I hope you enjoy this episode of Let's Do Influencing. Hello, everybody. It's Corey Poirier, and I'm excited to be back with the latest edition of the Let's Do Influencing show. Really excited as well to have a first-time guest. Uh, our, our listeners know that uh, I get excited to bring on first-time guests. Obviously, I like bringing on every guest, but uh, with a first-time guest, you get to explore new things, whereas a returning guest, you're kind of already diving in. So, Eleanor Beaton, I'm so excited to have you here today. And uh, just to say off the top, because you shared this uh, when we were, you were interviewing me, but I'd like to share it with my audience too that it is pretty intriguing that uh, I just met Eleanor uh, visually for the first time because we're still in the world of COVID uh, as part of our event that we just recently did, our Blue Talks virtual event. But yet forever, I've been hearing from people all across the region that you need to meet Eleanor Beaton. She's, she's the real deal. You guys would be you know, so synergistic. You're doing similar work. You need to know her. She's crushing it in Atlanta, Canada. And so... I mean, I don't know why it took me so long, but I'm so super excited that we finally got to connect and they were right. So I just want to say that you are doing amazing things and we're going to explore that today, but uh, I'm so glad we finally were able to connect. Thank you so much. You feel like an old friend. Awesome. That's how you feel, right? I love that. I love old friend feelings. I love that feeling when you feel like you've known somebody for a lot longer than you should feel like you have. Totally. Exactly. (laughs) More than since August or September. Yeah, like a, a basically a little over a month. And, uh, and, and the truth is, it's rare to find that. Like, it's rare uh, when you meet somebody that you feel like I've known this person for a while. So, yeah. so, obviously, people are right. So, Eleanor, I guess where I'd like to start is, even though off the top we talked a little bit about your bio, can you tell us maybe a little bit more in terms of, I guess, and I'm thinking more uh, future, where things are going, because I feel like you have... And and you've had big plans all along, but you have really big goals and lofty goals going forward. Uh, Can you tell us what that looks like and what that has been looking like uh, as we go through COVID, especially? Because I'm sure some of those plans were put in place before COVID reared its head. Yeah. So my, the work that I do, like my mission is to double the number of women entrepreneurs who scale past seven figures. And so we know that that means in North America anyway, adding within, and so we want to do this by, we want, our mission is to do this by 2030. So in order to do that, we need to add over the next 10 years, an additional 200,000 women entrepreneurs who are able to do that. So that's been a mission and it was just this number that came out that I just kind of felt like doing, you know? So for many years, I've really, you know, I've had this mission in mind, but really wanted to figure out how best do I do this? 
So part of it is through the podcast. I have a book coming out next year. I uh, blog regularly. So there's a lot of media that's involved in doing this. And then there's also sort of a coaching component, which is, you know, the programs. We have a couple of different programs that I do working with women entrepreneurs. I love working closely with women entrepreneurs to help them do that. So that's like the, that's the big mission and that's the work. Um, COVID is, has been interesting because it has been, it has definitely, like I spent a lot of time this year really working on, um, it was very much an internal focus. So when I started my business, like potentially, you know, many people who come on this show, what makes people influencers typically is that we are public facing. So we are talking, sharing, creating content, putting it out there. That's a big part of what we do. And I actually got to the point where I was actually a little bit exhausted because inside my business, I didn't have some of the foundations and structures and processes that I needed in order to be able to scale. I'm not going to say with ease, <laughs> but to scale with less effort. And so over the past 12 months, my focus was actually much more internal building up the systems, building up the processes, you know, putting in jobs descriptions, getting in team members, seeing some turnover with some of those team members, like really working to make sure that I was getting the right people in place. So it's interesting that that happened during COVID because um, it's been, it has been more of an internal year than an external year. Let mm. me put it that way. Yeah, I, I love that. And, and there's a couple of things I want to unpack there. One thing you mentioned about a book is this your first book? Well, this is interesting. So before I got into the work that I'm doing here, I was a, um, I was a journalist and a writer. So it's not my first book. I've published several, but they're all, they were like business biographies. They were co-writes. So for instance, I um, was a finalist for a national business book um, award, which is Canada's top honor for business books for a co-write that I did with Annette Verschuren. Um, I did that with, uh, with Margaret Trudeau, with, um, Arlene Dickinson. So back in my old life, I was, I did a lot of work as a co-writer, you know, with fabulous women leaders and that kind of thing. And so though I have <laughs> been a part of a lot of books, but this, I would say is like the first book that I've done that is, um, that is really where I'm sort of expounding my philosophy on things. It's the reason I asked that is because I, I know of your old life. And even then I had been hearing about you, but I, um, I didn't, I didn't think you had like a, the Eleanor Beaton book. Like I just, yeah. I, no, I didn't not see yet. anywhere along the way. And I think I would have known. So yeah. I, I, that's why I was curious. So this is a, it's a really big deal. It is, you know, and it's so interesting because for a while I didn't have anything really that I wanted to say. <laughs> like not at that, not at that length, <laughs> you know what I mean? Not at that length. Yeah. And then I, and then I really started finding it and it's interesting, you know, cause I know we're going to talk about this, you know, more, I mean, it's such, it's such a part of, of everything that you, you know, of, of your work, but I think that, you know, in today there's a lot of people who have about 20 seconds worth of content mm -hmm. at a time you know, and, and that's cool. Listen, no, no hate, no shade, right? Like that's cool. But for me, I, I know if it was really about developing a philosophy 
that was new, honing my ideas such that I had something that was really worth putting the effort into. So that's what, I, yeah. that's what it is. I, I love that because I'm in this mindset right now about this whole idea of um, more than 20 seconds of content. And, and as we talk about, I've been, I've been obsessed with these interviews over such a long time. And I have multiple books where I've shared the learnings of these interviews, but I've never done my, I'm going to call it my Think and Grow Rich. Yep. I don't mean doing, uh, redoing Think and Grow Rich. I mean like almost like the modern, what would it look like today? Yeah, Think and Grow Rich based on somebody else's perspective. And that's what I'm writing right now. And so same idea like that to me, I feel like I've been building and working toward this forever and that's not going to be my 20 seconds of content, but it also has to feel like it's the right time. And it has to feel like I, it's ready to be out in the world. Like I can't just be because I need to have a book like everybody else. Totally. Like I just, you know, there, I just can't do that. And you know, it's interesting if there's anything that COVID has done, it's this idea of essentialism. And so when you are really minding going out in public or to going to the grocery store, you focus on making sure that you have what you need, even though you might not be able to get all of these other things because you don't want to go to Costco and you don't want to do this and you don't want to do that. It's been this great time of essentialism. And I have certainly found that myself. So there are things where I'm like, this is important. This is not, this has been a time of commitments and obligations. So things that feel like obligations, they're just gone. And things that feel like commitments that light me up, that give me energy, that have meaning. Those are the things that I want to be spending my time on. So I, it's interesting. I want to ask you something related to this that literally, I mean, it just came up this morning. Um, I, I'm never a person to uh, put a name out in public of somebody that says something that, when they don't say it in public. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I'll ask you your thoughts on this because it relates to what you just said. And so... As some, and I want to ask you about, you mentioned about influencer being a public face. And so I want to talk to you in a minute about, um, have you had those experiences where somebody's sort of, for lack of a better way of saying it, showing, throwing that hate or shade your way. But somebody said to me this morning about an interview I did, and I can say, and, I, and when I say this, hopefully it doesn't come across wrong, but I've, I can say I've never had this said before. I've had different things said, because when you're putting yourself out there, things are going to be said. But I never had this one. The person said, and this is why I wouldn't say their name, because I wouldn't want to identify who said it. I listened to an interview of you, yours and it didn't come across like your previous ones. It sounded like you and the host were both bragging and I don't think that's the right thing to be out there right now with COVID and people losing their jobs and food and that. And I'd never been said that said before. And I will say that my mother is one of my biggest supporters, but also one of my biggest critics. And she listens to my interviews to make sure they don't come across that way. Yeah. So I don't know if it's a perspective or if it really did. And, but at the same time, um, I understand when we put ourselves out there, we open ourselves up at the same time as well. I wouldn't want to think it came across that way to other listeners too, but I bring this up because it's a segue into what you just talked about in twofold. One, I want to ask you how you've dealt with it and have you had that, especially being a fierce female entrepreneur. But the second part is I want to ask you your thoughts on this relates to what you just said. You said, if there's one good thing that's coming to COVID. So I'm reading And I shared this with you off air reading uh, Napoleon Hill right now. Again, I constantly read this guy. Uh, but one of his quotes I love says every adversity comes with, and I'm going to paraphrase this, comes with a seed of equal opportunity. Mm. And so the idea that for everything bad that happens, there's typically something good that comes out of it. And so my question is, do you, is it okay to say, do you think that something good has come out of COVID? And then secondly, I get, well, and I won't jump ahead yet to the other question, but what are your thoughts on that? The idea that can there be good things that have come out of this, even though we know people are suffering more than before and things mm -hmm. that we wouldn't like to see happening are happening in the world? 
Oh yeah. That's such a great question. And, um, and I think the human condition and the human reality is that it's, it's, um, we can't control the circumstances, you know, like we talked about earlier. So to me, COVID is a circumstance and, and it's a painful circumstance. It has 100% uh, decimated some economies uh, it has shrunk other economies. We know that we're in for a painful ascent out of it. We know that potentially the worst hasn't happened because the government money has not run out yet. So there's a number of things that are totally out of our control, not to mention the human toll that this disease has taken, you know, worldwide. And so I think, you know, to your point, um, anybody who has a one thing that did happen, interestingly, not only with COVID, but also with Black Lives Matter and the, and the anti-racist movement, anti-Black racism movement that really spread throughout the, the globe, is that influencers in particular became much more accountable as leaders. So it wasn't enough just to have a platform and to promote your stuff. Now it became expected that you are going to do what we've expected of leaders all along, which is to stand up and have a voice when it matters. So I think there is this increased awareness, especially among people who have an audience, of the need to be sensitive, to be a leader, you know? But part of that is acknowledging pain and acknowledging tragedy, but also pointing a way forward, mm -hmm. right? And so to your point, I think 100%, I, I don't think, I think that not only is it okay, I think we have to, we have to continue to be a voice that there's still hope, that there's tremendous opportunity, um, and that we can make this pain that we're experiencing as a planet meaningful in some way. Well, and to that point, I mean, I think this ties into the challenge of being in any respect in the public eye, whether it's even in front of 50 people, is mm -hmm. that stuff you put out there, some of it's evergreen. So, you know, I could, and I don't know, I, I didn't listen to re-listen to this interview that the comment was on, but it could have just been the person said, um, you know, I know you're a multiple time TEDx speaker. Um, what does that mean for your career? And maybe I said it opened this door and that door and they thought that sounds like you're bragging. Yeah. I mean, but I grew up in, as we talked about before, I grew up in a little small town where I was told that um, you can never flatter yourself in any way at all. But then I learned that to be a challenge whenever you're also trying to, as you said, serve hundreds of thousands of people or 50 people. Because if you don't say you have a new podcast out, early on especially, who will? And yeah. so anyway, so I think there's a balance there. But I, I can see how the challenge becomes now is we put stuff out there evergreen, where you might have a guest on that said, this is starting our banner year. And that could have been uh, 2018, but if I'm listening to it now and I was struggling in 2020 and COVID happens, I still could be, well, that's terrible. They said they're having a bad interview. But yeah. It didn't say yes. it time. Because this, this interview in reference, I probably recorded a year ago. Yeah. So I, I just, anyway, I just thought I'd get your uh, take on that. Is it okay for us to, and I don't mean me, I mean like in general. In general, uh, yeah. To us to view some positives out of this. Now, the, the, the other side of that was, as again, a female fierce entrepreneur, have you had people, whether it's private or whether public, that have hated on you for stuff? And if so, how do you deal with that? Like, how mm. do you, whether it's internally deal with it or publicly even deal with it? 
Yeah. I mean, I think that's such a rite of passage because this is really interesting. So before, you know, in my previous life, I was very much behind the scenes. So I was an advisor, you know, that was a role. It's a role I still have, but I was an advisor to people very much behind the scenes. So I was an advisor to leaders who had platforms and voices and all of that kind of thing. And in that place, it is, and it's interesting in, in that place, you are not surrounded by a ton of people right? And so you can still continue to be a people pleaser because there's not as many people to twist yourself into knots trying to please and make happy and apologize for. And, you know, so at that time, my opinions were not as bold. Um, They were, you know, I just, I was just a lot more behind the scenes. And then my father passed away and that became, that was sort of anybody who's lost someone has probably that you that you love has had that experience of to the point that we're talking about with covid tragedy can happen and growth comes from that so for me i realized okay it's time i'm i am playing small here i am telling other people's stories i'm not telling my own it's time to stand up and step up and and i know i have incredibly valuable things to share so i'm going to do it well initially there's a lot of of praise and encouragement And Oprah said it best when she said, people will support you until you exceed their expectations of you. Mm. And that is the place again and again and again, where I have brushed up against shade. And so for people who don't know me at all, it could be just a red, like, I'll give you an example, Facebook ads. So people don't know me at all and they're casting shade on my Facebook ad. So that doesn't bother me too much. Their expectations aren't that high. They don't even know who I am. Then, you know, as you continue to be out there, it starts to be people that you know. It starts to be people who you, you know, you just, it's just a part of the human condition. Now people who, some people would be like, we create all of these things in our, you know, we draw this stuff into our experience. I'm like, oh, hell no. This is part of the human condition and it's okay. Because now what I realize is number one, I'm going to allow them to be wrong. My boundary is it's not my business what they think. I will allow them to be wrong about me. What they think is none of my business. I can't give it any energy. But when I do give it energy, I turn it into really great content. Like that fire, (laughs) you know, the fire of being slighted or being wronged. And it's not about that person. I try to have a lot of generous goodwill toward that person, but I try to turn it into content that is incandescent. That's my goal, making it incandescent. I, I, I so love that. And something that popped in my head when you mentioned about, I can't give it energy and it's none of my business. I don't know why it makes me think of this, but this is one of these, you know, you get a takeaway sometimes from whatever it is, a documentary that you didn't expect. Uh, and I had a friend force me to watch a, a, a documentary called Pumping Iron. I don't know if you're familiar. Oh, yes. With, Arnold. Yeah. Yes. And so I ended up taking so much away from it, not thinking I would. My friend's like a hardcore Arnold fan, you know, works out whatever, three hours a day. And he convinced me to watch it. And I'm just like, why am I spending my time? But one of the things I remember that Arnold said in it that I think speaks so, uh, I guess, it, it accurately for what you just ch- talked about as far as our mindset and allowing us, all, us to take it out of that mindset is he said, gave an example. He said, I could be working out here in this room where he was working out, uh, basically getting ready to c- compete. 
on the on, on Olympic stage, essentially, and uh, or at least the Mr. Olympia stage. And he said, my rental car could be out the front window, and I'm working out looking out the window. And he said, if somebody comes up and steals my rental car while I'm working out getting ready for Mr. Olympia, I can't be worried about that. I just got to say, laugh and say, I'll figure it out later. I'll deal with the rental car company later. I'll deal with the police later. Because if I let myself in any way, shape, or form get, get out of that mind space, then I deserve not to be Mr. Olympia. And I just oh, thought, so good. Yeah, it's such, I mean, it's the point about, it's none of his business that that guy's stealing his car right now because his business is working out and winning this competition. And it just always stuck with me about world-class. That's yeah. a world-class mindset. And, you know, there were some things he said in there that you could say, well, he obviously put maybe the Olympics before family members and stuff. Or, so again, Mr. Olympia before that mm -hmm. competition, before his family. So you could say that's a negative, but it's still, I guess, that one thing that I took from it speaks to the world-class mindset. Like he had a different mindset, which is probably why he ended up achieving a lot of things that most people would say, there's no way that guy's going to achieve. Well, and listen, greatness is not comfortable, you know, and that's what people need to remember. So that he made those choices and they were his to make. You know, and it's interesting because I think about, um, I think about my mother, for instance. So my mother's from the Fiji Islands. We immigrated to Canada when I was a kid. She came here when my dad was a prof at Acadia University in Nova Scotia. Before we came here, my mom was actually the maid breadwinner in the family. She was a teacher. She, she had a career that she loved. And when we moved here, she decided that she wanted to stay home and, and raise us because it was a totally different culture. It was very different for her. And she just didn't yet feel comfortable putting us into nursery school and daycare and that kind of thing. So she became a tremendous mother, like a world-class mother, you know, and she sacrificed a world-class career. And that was her choice. You know, and so to your point, sometimes I think there's this, there's this focus and this, there's this sort of toughness that world-class performers often have, which is, is driven by a sense of generosity. It's driven by a sense of potential and, but it also, they're very steely in terms of making these commitments and decisions to stay in their lane and to not get distracted. Yeah. It's, uh, you're probably familiar with the name Matt Anderson. Yes. Which not everybody listening to the show will be, but uh, another uh, Atlanta Canadian who's achieved some great things. And I remember talking to him about this idea of, uh, it, what you made me think of is when you mentioned your mother decided to become world-class at motherhood. And Matt had talked about how the sacrifices and things that he made by being on the road so many days a year, because we were talking about following your passion. And he said, but I think sometimes people miss the boat and think passion has to be business. And he said, yeah. my mother, for instance, her passion was being a family member and a mother. And, and he said, so she would take in the musicians, he said, that were older than her. They would come over and he said they, she would give them allowance. She would tuck like $10 into their pocket. He said, like, she just exuded motherhood. Yeah. And that was her passion. Yeah. And, he said, and what he was saying was, I think sometimes we're doing passion a disservice if we think it can only be your career. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So just made me think of that with that uh, point about uh, your mother being world-class. Now, um, one of the things I want to ask you, but before I dive into, because I'd love to, two things I'd love to unpack, uh, this way you keep me honest in, in doing both these things, is one is uh, talking for a minute about the common traits you've seen, a uh, question you asked me, but I'd love to ask you that too, about high achievers. 
And I'd like to ask about what's moving the needle because I know influencers always want to learn a takeaway for what they can do as an influencer. But just before I go there for just a quick, uh, you know, just a quick minute, I would like to ask you about blogging because yeah. you mentioned blogging and I'm going to be full disclosure here. I've been in and out in blogging. Like I went into blogging for like six months and I went all in and then I was kind of like, ah, I don't feel like I'm getting the results I want. And then I'd left. And I did yeah. that three or four times and you don't hear as much about blogging now, which is why I'm asking this, but you yeah. mentioned blogging is one of your key things. How these days, how big has blogging been for you? Like it, obviously you're still doing it. So mm -hmm. has, has it been actually uh, a good move in terms of impacting lives, but also bringing people into your circle? Yeah. Ooh, this is such, I just love this question. So I, and I should, I should be clear that when I talk about blogging, I actually talk about my email list. So I, um, and so some of those blogs I'll share more broadly, but to me, for me, blogging is like a nurture tactic. So I email regularly. I, you know, my approach actually has been influenced by one of my favorites. So I'm a, I'm a, I'm sort of a devotee of Dan Kennedy and also this guy, Ben Settle. I don't know if you know who that is, but I know they're, they're just sort of these curmudgeonly, anti-authoritarian, it's rather inappropriate, you know, amazing, but original thinkers, right? Like original thinkers. And so I've been influenced by Ben Settle and this idea of frequent email. So he emails his list every day. I don't do that. <coughs> Excuse me. But the point is for me, the written word has been a really powerful way to connect with my audience. So for me, blogging has been all about nurture rather than attract. So nurture in terms of developing. So, so for me, I am all about creating a strong bond with my audience um, where they, and that to me, that bond, like all relationships is through consistency of showing up and frequency. So that's where I blog and I love it. it. I have been blogging consistently to my list for a long time and will only go further with that. Now to that point, one of the areas, what I have, what I think is, is going to be increasingly important as we move. So basically what things like Instagram reels and Instagram stories and social media, the great, there's so much that's amazing about it. It's really lowered the bar and made getting into business much more accessible. It has, you know, opened up this huge opportunity for people to share their stories and their ideas and their voices and all of that. And I think that truly is a wonderful thing, but I also think that it becomes a fabulous opportunity for people who have put in the time. So everybody's stories are equal, but everybody's ability to deliver a message is not equal. So for those of us who have really been in this game, practicing honing our craft and skill, from my perspective, what I look at is what is everybody in my industry doing? And they're generally doing all the same thing and copying each other. And so how unwittingly, because they're learning, you know what I mean? They're trying, they're learning what's working. And so everybody just kind of does the same thing for me increasingly, especially this year, I am like, I do not give a shoot about what other people are doing. I want to do the complete opposite. And I have a nice cash reserve that allows me to do that. And that's just what I'm going to do. And I'm going to see, because this is how, you know, like I have no interest in doing what other people are doing. 
So I'll give you an example. Nobody's doing long form blogs. Not really. Nobody's really doing long form written, really good content. So those are all things that I am experimenting with this year. And all I can say is I just know it's going to work because of how I feel about it. You know, when you've been in business, you're like, Ooh, no, this is really good. This is, this is really good stuff. So I don't know if that answers your question, but it does. Now, only one other thing I want to ask within that. Yeah. I want to make sure I clarify both for me and the audience. Cause I always yeah. feel if I'm curious, then the audience is probably asking Corey asked this question. Yeah. Now, so when you said it's your list that you're mm-hmm. blogging to, do you have a physical blog that they're going to, to read this stuff or is it on the email you mean? Yeah, it's on the email. Okay. It's on the email. And so we will publish some of those after the fact as blogs, but it's really sort of an exclusive, you know, and it's an exclusive list. I'll tell you, you know, like on my list, it's, it's, you know, because I'm talking to you, you would be somebody who would have this experience, but a lot of the major thinkers and influencers in the field of women's online, women's entrepreneurship, online women's coaching and so on, they are on my list reading my emails. And the reason, you know, and I take a lot of pride in that because I put a lot of work into those emails. Um, But it's really about, to me, what is so important about the emails is I want to be an example and really um, show these women who are in my community an example of a woman who's really in command of her voice. Mm -hmm. Because when women feel disempowered, the first thing that we lose is our voice. You know, we go quiet or we're not heard or we're talked over or whatever. So having a place, having a strong voice, strong opinions, sharing them to me that this is like, you know, it's inspiring. I get inspired when I see people do this. So that's where, yeah. So technically I'm doing it inside my list um, because that's where they get the reason to come on in. It's so, I mean, there's, you know, and this part, maybe I'll call it to be continued. Cause I feel like this one thing I'm about to ask about, yeah. we could go down a rabbit hole for probably an hour on this one subject, but this is another thing what you talked about what happens from a female perspective when yeah. this happens. And I just read this statistic the other day. I can't remember. I'd love to say even where it's from, but I know it was an Instagram post or something, but the number of beauty companies that are owned by females, led by females and owned by females is like 4%. Yeah. Like, so to your point, there's still a big um, disparity in terms of, you're trying to create 200,000 millionaire female entrepreneurs. I don't know what the number of male million, uh, million, like seven figure entrepreneurs is, but assumably it's a lot higher. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, that's a factor that, that I I think a lot of people think is gone, but it's, I mean, it's not like, no, the disparity is what I mean. And I was raised by a single mother who was very outspoken, very, you know, she said what she wanted and told everybody and I, I am so like, proud of her, but also I want to see the switch. I'm, I'm yeah. definitely wanting to see the switch because uh, I feel it, it, it shouldn't be, it should, like, it shouldn't be that big of a disparity. It shouldn't yeah. be where there's this inequality that's kind of been just accepted as the norm. Now, having said that, I think also, like it's a catch-22 because I think also I had, um, I forget who it was, but we had a filmmaker on one time. And she was talking about the fact that the percentage of female directors, let's say whatever the number was, let's say it was um, 
2% before and now it's 6%. Mm-hmm. The other thing we have to also, we want to look at the positive versus the negative. The positive is it just tripled, you know, yeah. in the last 10 years. So yes. I mean, it feels like we're making headway, but you also have to say, but how long is it going to take then if it's only moved up 4% in 10 years type thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's, a, like I said, that's a whole category of discussion. Um, but how does that, so that this is where I'm bringing it back as a segue. How does that influence what you see as the, the, and you can talk to that other part as well if you want, but uh, of course, but how does that also affect what you see as the common traits of the female fierce entrepreneurs that are achieving mm. and setting the example for others? So I'm going to distinguish and I'm going to, and I think a lot of the women who are listening will know what I'm talking about. I, the ones that I'm going to, there's a lot of different, you know, women entrepreneurs who are doing great things. Um, and women leaders who are doing great things. And the ones who we tend to hear about, like the big women influencers and the ones who are really killing it in their business that tend to have a more public platform, why is it that they have a more public platform? So if you were to look at somebody like a Kim Kardashian as an example, people like to make a lot of fun of her and that she's famous for being famous, but she actually pioneered a culture she is a major cultural figure and icon and people again they make fun of her that she's fatuous that she is that she is um, a flake that she's not smart i would say that that's what society tends to do to famous powerful women so society loves beautiful women but it has not generally been very kind to powerful women even if they are beautiful like kim kardashian so you know, so, so Kim is an example of somebody who actually is living a very clearly defined philosophy, right? Like she is, she is shaping culture. I think about Brene Brown, who um, has had a massive influence on culture and through that has not only, you know, built up a tremendous platform, but presumably a tremendous amount of personal wealth through having the courage to have a voice and to unleash that voice, you know? I mean, who on earth is like, I'm going to build a massive platform around shame, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Like, come on. So one of the big things that I think I have noticed and observed in working with, um, you know, very successful women entrepreneurs and interviewing them and so on is this ability to take hold of their own freedom. Because it's only then, like then you can really unleash, you can really share a powerful message. You're not constantly second guessing yourself because as soon as you start opening up, you will 100% start attracting both, you know, supporters and positive feedback and also some, not a ton, but enough that it can cripple you if you allow it, criticism, you know, that can feel totally unsafe. So that's one of the biggest things that I've noticed. And now, and I mean, it's, it's while you're saying that too, Eleanor, I can picture different powerful women that, celebrity uh, powerful women that uh, I've seen other people say that about. Like, so I can see like Oprah, Ariana Huffington, and it's just while, and Lisa Nichols, we talked about earlier. I mean, they've totally said, I'm going to own who I am while also trying to empower other females to do the same. But to your point, uh, part of what they had to accept is being attacked while doing it. Yeah. We power. Yeah. Power is fascinating to me. 
Um, and as a, as a society, we still have a very tenuous relationship with powerful women. Well, I, I mean, I feel like, and this goes back a long time. I forget who it was, but uh, somebody uh, on their Instagram post put a uh, picture up of their passport year from years ago. And they lived, I feel like, I think it might've been India, yep. but they, they lived in a country where it would say like Mr. Smith's wife was on your passport. <laughs> Didn't say the name or anything. And I feel like it's wild how in some ways that still exists. And what I mean by that is if you think about a couple like Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith, I mean, Jada Pinkett Smith has her own show, The Red Table Talk, which has done extremely well. She's been a part of Gotham and really big shows. But most people I know say, you know, Will Smith's wife. Yeah. But they don't say Jada Pinkett Smith's husband. No, never. So, never. I mean, so yeah. I feel like we still need to, and I'm not, you know, I'm not going to judge whether, you know, that's in the bigger picture, a horrible thing compared to all the other stuff happening. But, you know, maybe that has to change. Yeah. It has to change. And at the very same time, it still goes to the point of what you said is, where we still feel differently about a powerful woman that we have to say so-and-so's wife. That's right. And I think, you know, from my perspective, it's like waiting, you know, if you are that powerful woman, it's about um, being aware, you know, uh, that you are, and it's just through being, you don't have to be perfect. You're just, just by virtue of the fact that you exist, you're inspiring other women to be powerful. And then the second thing that I'll add is just, if you are a powerful woman, being, um, you know, doing what you can while maintaining your own boundaries, but doing what you can to support um, other people generally and certainly women. Well, and I'll, I'll add in, as I was saying, and I thought there is one exception, I think, to that rule I just said, yes. which is Oprah. Everybody yes. is Oprah's boyfriend. <laughs> yeah, I know, 100%. And I so, remember seeing, seeing Stedman Graham at this resort I was at, and I was, I was so excited because I was extremely excited because I was like, where I saw him, I was like, oh, that's Stedman. Where is she? Where she wasn't there. She wasn't there, but you know. Well, and, and, and I mean, credit to him because he's, from everything I've seen from the outside looking in, a-okay with that. Yeah, totally. Like, so I think that is a credit to him. Yeah. And, you know, as, as a male figure who, by the way, has had a lot of success in his own right. Yeah. Is okay with that because there's a lot of men that wouldn't be. Yes. And, which is sad, but that's, I think it's a cool uh, credit to him. So having said that, uh, even, uh, I, we're going to wind down right away because I know we're a couple of seconds over time, but I promised I'd ask one more quick question. Um, and this is probably an important one for those listening for that little insider nugget. Yeah. But I know your podcast is obviously one of the biggest platforms and we'll call it, maybe if we use the business, business industry terms, your funnel, one of your funnels. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What has moved the needle the most for you as an influencer? So if you're talking to other influencers who are saying, and again, we talked earlier, not to get shortcuts, but just to know what is working for you so that maybe they can say, is that something I need to explore? Are there a couple of things that stand out that really are the needle movers that you know, this is something I need to obviously keep putting my focus on? Yeah. Oh, that's such a good question. Um, I think it comes, so two, for me, two things. So one we've kind of talked about, but really high quality original content in an uncopyable voice, you know? So it's like, that is, um, there's no shortcut to that, you know, but it's really doing, like, I really make sure that I take my podcast and my, um, emails very seriously 
because it, that's the, that's the relationship. That's the loyalty. See, my business is not based around working with masses amount of customers. I work our, you know, average um, lifetime value of our client base is very high. Our income per email subscriber is very high. Um, and there's a very specific reason for that because I am a, as obsessed with repelling the wrong people as I am with connecting with the correct, with the correct people for me, you know? And so when I say it wrong people, they are, you know, they're just not my people, <laughs> you know? So I think really focusing on that, on, on investing in the time and the energy to create content that repels. So I'm not the person where it's like, let's sing Kumbaya. Let's just all be super, you know, we're all in this massive sisterhood together and da, da, da. kind of, but not really, you know, I am, we are the, table of warrior queens like that <laughs> that's who we are and that's what we're kind of we know that we have to protect each other and have each other's backs and we're out there and it's a it's a battle a good one a fun one but that's what it is you know so that is just really making sure that that is coming out all the time so that we are constantly repelling um that we are turning off people who shouldn't be with us and keeping you know the ones like really drawing in the people who should be with us so that's number one as far as like a really good tactic and the second thing and this is interesting when i started looking so we totally invest in paid traffic and all of that good stuff because i am a little bit of a stoic and that i like to i always assume i'm very i i have the vision that great things will happen and I always prepare for the worst, right? So we totally invest in paid traffic and all of that. But I will be honest, most of my best customers, they came in through organic. And I think if you talk, this is the big secret, like when you talk to a lot of people, their highest value customers are very often continuing to come in through organic traffic. So I'll give you an example. Somebody who listens to this podcast interview and opts into my list that is a very good person. Same with you on my show. So somebody who was listening to my show and listens to our interview and then listens to our 40 minute conversation to the end opts in. That is a person who is picking up what we're putting down. You know what I mean? So I want everyone here to think about that, like to continue that work for me, what has truly moved the needle has been taking responsibility for forming relationships with people whom I admire and supporting them, having those relationships, um, throwing traffic our way, you know, uh, partnering, that continues to be the primary needle mover. I don't care how much Mark Zuckerberg is making. <laughs> wow, I, I love that. And so uh, what I'm gonna do uh, on that note, uh, if you're cool with it, which I'm sure you are, is uh, my LinkedIn post is gonna be something different today, but now I'm gonna put a post up about creating content that repels. Yeah, please do. Please do. I mean, because that that's, honestly, that's, that's golden. I hope people are listening to that because, and, and to your point, doing what nobody else is doing. People are terrified to create content that repels. Totally. And, and that's why it's all so freaking boring. Like, I really, you know, I'm trying to repel people right now. I'm trying to repel, but I'm like, honestly, say that. what? You're going yes. to tell somebody who goes, that's terrible. She's trying I know, to repel she's, she's just awful. And, and it's not, or just like, oh, she's not my cup of tea, right? But for the people who are picking up what I'm putting down, they know that I'm making a valid point. <laughs> Have, like go through, your post will be one of the most interesting ones on LinkedIn today for so many people because you 
are, you understand how to create great content. Most people don't. And so I think like repelling for me, repelling is important because you know what? I don't have time. I Warrior love- Queens only. <laughs> I love it. So uh, that, you know, that's a great segue uh, to ask you how we can learn more, how people can connect with you, all that kind of good stuff. But maybe part of that question then is how do people work with you? Because we didn't really talk about, I mean, I know we talked about what your goal is and your mission, mm-hmm. but we didn't talk about how people can work mm-hmm. with you. And I'm sure if they, um, as they get nurtured by Eleanor, they'll discover that. But that's I'm right. just curious uh, if somebody's listening saying, well, how could I ever work with her if I wanted to? What does that look like? Yeah. So maybe can you tell us that as part of how people can connect? Sure. Sure. So I love simplicity. So I have two offers, two ways that people work with me. So one is an eight week program called the power presence position business accelerator. And that is all about unlocking your voice through really honing down on your niche, um, really crafting a powerful message and then learning how to sell with story right? So it's all about that voice and brand. So that's the, the power presence position business accelerator. And then from there, or if you are already sort of at that six figure mark from there, people will work with me inside a program that's called the incubator. Mm-hmm. So that's a year long program um, that really combines. And that, that is all about what we, what I call an SFSO, which is a six figure scalable offer. Okay. So it's a really powerful, like once you get to a point where you can create one offer that's scalable that can generate at least six figures in 12 months that becomes a very powerful milestone because you're that at that point now you have some freedom to be able to continue going out being forward facing you know being out there but you've got this um you've got a money machine, you know, kind of behind you. So those are my two offers. And really in those, I work primarily with women entrepreneurs who are in this, in service-based injuries in industry. So they're typically selling expertise. Mm. Yeah. And then if people want to go and hear that I have, my podcast is called power presence position. Corey's going to be a guest coming up real soon. It was a super fun combo. And then I've been talking about my list. Um, get on it. It's fun. <laughs> you, might, you might be the kind of person where you're like, wow, I read one email and now I'm going to bounce. Um, or you might be a lifelong fan. So that's eleanorbeaton.com forward slash join. eleanorbeaton.com forward slash join. And is that, uh, I mean, that's probably the best place for people to go for the start yeah. anyway. Like the- 100%. Yeah. You, it's like, yeah, 100. I, I really want people to know and trust us um, before we start working together because we work together closely. Right. So that's, we're, we're more of a high ticket shop. Eleanor Beaton, this has been an absolute pleasure. I knew it would be. I didn't even have to guess or wonder. Uh, So I thank you so much. I applaud you. I adore you. This has been an absolute pleasure. And with your permission, I'm going to call it a to be continued because I feel like we barely scratched the surface. One hundo. It was such, so awesome to talk with you. Like I said, you feel like an old friend. And I just love the, I just love the energy and spirit of generosity that you bring to everything that you do. It's, it's, it's rare and it's really inspiring. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. That's so humbling. Well, you made this easy today. So thank you so much. And uh, we'll obviously recommend uh, that people go join your list right now to decide whether they're going to be repelled (laughs) or going to be a magnet. You'll Uh, know soon. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Eleanor.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.